Greetings, greetings, greetings on this good Saturday morning, June 17th, 2023, also known as Juneteenth weekend. As for myself and my family, we will be celebrating this weekend by attending an African drum circle, participating in the healing vibes and the rhythms and the sounds of the djembe drums and the dum-dums, dancing and playing and commemorating our ancestors and ourselves on this weekend and our continued fight for freedom. So freedom is defined by an American dictionary. Freedom. As the power or right to act, speak, or think as one wants without hindrance or restraint. Absence of subjection to foreign domination or despotic government. The state of not being imprisoned or enslaved. The state of being physically unrestricted and able to move easily. The state of not being subject to or affected by a particular undesirable thing. The power of self-determination. And that goes a long way. Today, this weekend, in life. Mm. So my focus today, my read today, is going to be an article I found on the National Parks Association website, www.npca.org, and the headline is, Nine Parks That Tell the Story of Slavery and Abolition. What is abolition? Let's look up that word so we are clear. going on, well, what went on during Juneteenth. Abolition. The action or act of abolishing a system, practice, or institution. See, slavery, American slavery specifically, enslaving Africans, was a business model. So abolishing the system, practice, and institution of enslaving Africans is a business model that is still in place in a lot of actions. The resistance to freeing Africans on American soil was huge. This is why Juneteenth is even a holiday. Because after the whole Civil War was fought, after the president of these United States did a, wrote a proclamation, the Emancipation Proclamation in 1863, Confederate states still chose to keep Africans enslaved for another two years until June 19, 1865, when Union troops had to come through and demand that Africans be released from enslavement, from making America rich the way slavery made America rich. Slavery, specifically chattel slavery of Africans, was a business model. 
a system, a practice, an institution. The resistance to black people being free is the anti-blackness you see all around America. And today is truly a celebration of remembering that that shit is not okay. And we're celebrating our black lives free from you wanting us not to even play the drums. See, we go to the drum circle, not just on Juneteenth weekend. We go as often as possible. Shout out to Drums for Life. Because African drums were literally outlawed. The people who came to the continent to snatch up bodies, first they studied us and they knew how important our drumming and our music and our dance and our spirituality was and is to us. And so when we got over here, they banned those drums in certain places in America for sure. It didn't get banned in Brazil, so you see a different kind of culture among African people in Brazil, but that's another story. So my focus today will be an article I found on the National Parks website, www.npca.org, and the headline is Nine Parks That Tell the Story of Slavery and Abolition. Abolition. Yeah. Let's get into it. This article was published on the National Parks Conservation Association website on June 17th of 2022. Written by Vanessa Pias, it takes us through nine parks in several states, Virginia, Massachusetts, Maryland, Louisiana, South Carolina, and Washington, D.C. On June 19th, the nation commemorates the end of institutional slavery in the United States. These national parks are part of that long journey to freedom. On June 19, 1865, enslaved people in Galveston, Texas, learned of their emancipation. More than two years after President Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation and two months after Robert E. Lee surrendered his Confederate forces at Appomattox. Freedom didn't happen overnight. It was incumbent on Union troops and sometimes enslavers themselves to share the news. And slavery legally continued in Union border states until the ratification of the 13th Amendment in December 1865. A reader's note, so Union troops came through and sometimes enslavers themselves. But for real, for real, word of mouth. You think they didn't talk to each other? You think people who were, were freed didn't run tell that to each other? I don't even have to see this woman's picture to know that she's a white woman because certain nuances of a story can only be told by somebody who has a connection to the story. So she's telling the information, but she's not connected to it. And she's still, she's still believing that enslavers <laughs> would just be so kind. 
after extending slavery, because they knew, they knew what happened. But then all of a sudden they just, come on, man. Anyway, black people may not have been allowed to learn how to read, but they knew how to talk and they knew how to share information a lot of times without talking. So she left that portion out. Continuing the read. When they did finally learn of their emancipation, freed people started celebrations that would continue for generations. Juneteenth became a federal holiday in 2021. Let's do some math here. So the 4th of July has been celebrated in America since 1776. Celebrating freedom while still holding people captive in enslavement for 89 years. Fourth of July was celebrated from 1776 till today. And for 89 of those years, basically 100 more years, holding people captured, making America wealthy beyond because you have all of these people working for free. Let me not. Yeah, baby. Mm. And it's a, it's a federal holiday now, which is 156 years after 1776. But only because of the year 2020. And we know all that went on in 2020, right? Continuing the read. Juneteenth became a federal holiday in 2021, honoring the end of institutional slavery in the United States. In recognition of this landmark anniversary, here are nine national park sites dedicated to sharing some of the history of slavery and abolition. Fort Monroe National Monument in Virginia. In 1619, a ship carrying kidnapped Africans landed at Point Comfort in Virginia. Some historians believe this marked the beginning of slavery in English North America. More than two centuries later, the military had built a massive stone fort on this shore, which was operational by 1834 and served Union troops during the Civil War. On May 23, 1861, three enslaved black men rode to the fort in search of freedom. A Union general refused to return them to their enslavers, declaring them contraband of war and prompting more than 10,000 freedom seekers to escape to Fort Monroe throughout the remainder of the war. The park site commemorates both the ominous first landing and the safe haven the fort became in the fight for emancipation. New Bedford Whaling National Historical Park in Massachusetts. New Bedford was a popular stop on the Underground Railroad. The whaling industry attracted workers from many backgrounds and the town's African-American population quickly grew throughout the 1830s and 40s. At least 700 freedom seekers came to New Bedford, including Frederick Douglass and his wife, Anna Murray in 1838. In New Bedford, black men could and did own property, pay taxes, and vote. Some neighborhoods and schools were integrated. 
though black and white children were seated separately in classrooms. The large Quaker population provided an extra layer of protection for freed men, men and women. When Congress passed the Fugitive Slave Act in 1850, two Quaker women gathered more than 1,700 signatures in petition. The Douglases started their family at 21 7th Street, a home that was owned by Nathan and Polly Johnson, prominent black abolitionists and business owners. It still stands today and is open for tours as part of the Abolition Row neighborhood. I would like to visit that. I didn't know that. Harriet Tubman Underground Railroad National Historical Park in Maryland. Harriet Tubman was born enslaved in Maryland in 1822 and grew up working the marshlands of the Eastern Shore. She was committed from a young age to finding freedom for herself and others. And after escaping slavery in 1849, she used her knowledge of the natural world and her network of abolitionist connections to help some 70 people navigate their way to freedom. Tubman became the Underground Railroad's best known conductor and today there are two national park sites dedicated to her life and work. The one in Maryland focuses on her early life and liberation work there, preserving her story and the natural landscape where it unfolded. Nice. The next one is also in Maryland, Hampton National Historical Site in Maryland. For decades, Visitors to Hampton learned about the wealthy Ridgely family who owned the estate. The grounds opened to the public in 1950 and tour guides carefully shaped the narrative around slavery, making it appear that the Ridgeleys had only enslaved a few people and treated them as beloved members of the family. In reality, the family enslaved hundreds of people and treated them brutally. The whitewashed history came under fire in the late 1990s and in 2007, several stone buildings that once housed enslaved people opened to the public and staff began adding exhibits and programming about slavery. Since 2016, new funding and initiatives have made way for in-depth ethnographic studies of those enslaved at Hampton and their descendants. Cane River Creole National Historical Historic Park in Louisiana. Generations of enslaved families lived and worked on plantations near the Cane River for over 200 years, contributing to the growth of Creole culture and the economy of the area. On the eve of the Civil War, Nearly 400 enslaved people on the Oakland and Magnolia plantations performed field and domestic work, as well as trade labor such as blacksmithing and carpentry. Cane River Creole National Historical Park preserves both properties, including 80 historic buildings and the history and culture of those who live there. In 1830, Louisiana legislators made it illegal for enslaved people to learn to read and write and therefore leave behind their own records. 
families carried on oral traditions, however, and the National Park Service has worked to research their lives and engage local descendants to share their stories. Harper's Ferry National Historic Park in Maryland, Virginia, and West Virginia. On an October night in 1859, abolitionist John Brown led 21 followers in a raid at a federal armory at Harper's Ferry in an attempt to wage economic warfare against slaveholders. His group occupied the armory in a raid that lasted 36 hours and resulted in the death of 10 of Brown's men. Brown himself was tried for murder, treason, and inciting a slave rebellion and was hanged six weeks after the raid. Though his plan failed on the surface, he changed the course of history. The media coverage of his trial and hanging made slavery harder to ignore and lent legitimacy to the growing Northern abolitionist movement, serving as a major catalyst for the Civil War. Antietam National Battlefield in Maryland. The Battle of Antietam was one of the most significant engagements of the Civil War. After 12 hours fighting on the banks of Antietam Creek, 23,000 soldiers were killed, wounded, or missing, making September 17, 1862, the single bloodiest day in American history. Although the Union Army suffered heavier casualties in the battle, their performance at Antietam led President Lincoln to issue a preliminary Emancipation Proclamation just five days after the battle. The proclamation dramatically changed the war, undercutting the Confederacy's economy and society and growing the Union Army's ranks by enlisting freed black soldiers. See, that right there is the truth of the United States and the North winning the war. Because prior to that, black soldiers, as depicted in the movie Glory, starring Denzel Washington and others, black soldiers weren't given guns and allowed to go fight physically. They didn't wanna, the North wanted to win the war economically and for power, of course, but to put guns in the hands of black men that they had been so brutal towards. Mm. But freed black soldiers made the difference. Made the difference. For real. Today, the park site is one of the best preserved Civil War sites in the country. Reconstruction-era National Historic Park in South Carolina. The period of reconstruction began after the Civil War and continued through the turn of the century, proving to be a transformative and tumultuous era of American history. The 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments abolished slavery. Dang, it took three amendments. It took an Emancipation Proclamation and three more amendments. (laughs) and still the civil rights movement Um, and still 2020 anyway 
13, 14th, and 15th Amendments abolished slavery, granted citizenship to all born in the United States, and enfranchised men of every race with the right to vote, regardless of previous enslavement. Together, these changes made waves across American social, political, and economic life. Historians consider Buford County, South Carolina, the birthplace of Reconstruction, where freed people founded African-American schools. HBCUs participated in efforts to distribute land to formerly enslaved people and ran for state and federal office. The park site includes two buildings used as schools, a visitor center, and Camp Saxton, where black soldiers and civilians learned about the Emancipation Proclamation. Mm. Oof. Land, land ownership. The way most of the land has been distributed in America, ugh, that's a whole story in and of itself. Um, but yeah, a lot of people who speak about their old money got it for free. And the last park, Frederick Douglass National His and not mm, let me get be clear about that. A lot of white people who speak about their old money got their land and their old money for free. Speaking about white people specifically. And again, slavery was a business model. Mm. Frederick Douglass National Historic Site in Washington, D.C. After escaping slavery in 1838, Frederick Douglass quickly found fame as a speaker, traveling around the United States and abroad to speak about his experiences and advocate for abolition. Douglass engaged in activist tactics that civil rights leaders would use a century later, such as organizing sit-ins, even when it was just him, as was the case on a segregated train car in Massachusetts during the 1840s. When the Civil War broke out, Douglas recruited African-American men for the Union Army, including two of his own sons, and urged President Lincoln to ensure they received pay and treatment equal to their white counterparts. I didn't see that. I gotta watch Gloria again. Did they mention Frederick Douglass? I'm, I'm reading this article and just now learning that Frederick Douglass... Mm, I remember he was... He would speak with the president, so. Anywho, um, as, eman as emancipation became closer to reality, he fought for formerly enslaved people to have full rights and protections as American citizens. After a devastating fire destroyed the Douglas home in Rochester, New York, the family moved in 1872 to Washington, D.C., a devastating fire moved all the way out the state, not just to another house. Where their three sons lived and where Douglas traveled frequently. In 1877, Douglas purchased his final home, Cedar Hill, where he lived for the last 17 years of his life. Today, visitors can explore the historic home and grounds, though the site is currently undergoing renovations and is scheduled to reopen in 2023. I will definitely be visiting a few of these sites as soon as I have the opportunity. Great article.
I make it my business to learn something new quite often, especially on celebratory days like Juneteenth weekend and Kwanzaa and Black History. But for me, Black History is 365. So I love learning something new about uh, my people, my culture, my history, because it has been whitewashed and, you know, so much goes on with it. So it's a, it's a joy. It's like a treasure hunt for me. So in addition to the National Parks article about the historical sites that I just read, I also found a digital toolkit on the National Museum of African American History and Cultures website. The tagline is Senses of Freedom, exploring the tastes, sounds, and experiences of an African American celebration. And I think that is an excellent way for somebody to go online and learn something new. What is this Juneteenth? And today I learned something new about Juneteenth and the color red. This uh, blog, blog post was written by Kelly Navies. She's a museum specialist and an oral historian. Each year when my family celebrates Juneteenth, our flyers boldly request that each guest bring something red. We then add examples like red soda pop, watermelon, apples, or even red beans. Folks bring these items without much thinking about their origin. In fact, the roots of the symbolic efficacy of the color red can be traced to West Africa, where it has been associated with strength, spirituality, life, and death. Furthermore, culinary historians trace the color to certain foods that traveled to the Americas along with the Africans during the transatlantic slave trade, the European slave trade, such as hibiscus and the kola nut. So this year at Juneteenth, as you take a long swallow from a cool drink of hibiscus iced tea or red punch, remember the ancestors who sacrificed Remember the blood shed in the struggle. Remember the collective strength of people of the African diaspora. And finally, remember the spirituality and transcendent joy that enabled us to overcome. And those are the words again of Kelly Navies, museum specialist and oral historian at the National Museum of African American History and Culture.